Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, it's great to be back in our verse-by-verse study. It's been several weeks. Uh, well, no, it's been longer than that. It's been uh, the whole first part of the year here. But uh, good to be back in our study of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6. We'll read the other verses uh, just a little bit later. Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bible with you, open it up with us. If you don't have a Bible, use your phone, use your tablet. Bible Gateway is a good online Bible that you can uh, get to quickly. Hebrews 10, starting verse 1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Let's pray. Lord, we humbly bow before you again. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being this sacrifice that we're going to look at this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to write this love letter, the Bible, to us that we can study and understand and appreciate all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, remove me once again from the equation that we might hear from you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Apparently, God really, really wants us as a church to fix our eyes completely on Jesus and deeply appreciate and trust his sufficiency. Five weeks ago, right after the start of the coronavirus shutdown, I felt led to preach a three-week series, and we called it Look Up to Jesus. Then with the start of April, and coinciding with Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sundays, two more messages centering exclusively on Christ, on his Passover mission, And when he completed the mission with the empty cross and the empty tomb. So we finally, finally we returned to this Hebrew study. Remember that we started the year with a multi-month study on being disciples, being lights as disciples. And ever since we concluded that initial series, it's been a varied over the last several weeks, it's been a varied but consistent view of, I don't know if you've noticed, Christ himself. Every week we've been looking at Christ himself. Well, I think, I think this just stirring us that Jesus is saying, I'm coming back soon. 
you better get your vision singular on me. I know all the other stuff you're distracted with right now, but Jesus is saying, look to me. Turn with me to one other passage over in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 17. Turn with me to Matthew 17 for just a second. You know this passage, or you've probably heard it. You might say, I haven't been in church in 40 years. You probably, Sunday school, you would have done a flannel graph with this one back in the day. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was what? Transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking, isn't that amazing? Jesus on the mountain, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up talking with Jesus. They were actually preparing him uh, for the coming of the cross. Drop down to verse, um, well, actually verse 4 tells us that Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Other passages tell us, he says, just hear him. It says it here too, uh, but hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus touched them and said, arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Each of the gospels say, God said, just hear him. And then Everyone's gone, and all they can see is Jesus. And I really believe that that's what God is doing with us as well. He's trying to remove all the different distractions that we would see Jesus. In our text today, it's Christ is our all-sufficient sacrifice. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled it, Only Christ Will Suffice. Now, given that we had this detailed look last Sunday on Easter at the six hours that our Passover lamb spent on the cross and the previous five weeks centered on Jesus. I believe the Father is saying to us this morning, just as he said the disciples, to the disciples there on the mountain, this is my son, hear him. Don't hear me. Don't hear Jim Cimbala. Don't hear Chuck Swindoll. Don't hear, I mean, I, these are way bigger guys than me. But I'm just saying, God is like, you don't need to, in other words, those men, you still listen to the teaching, but listen for the voice of Jesus, not any man. And I, I love listening to a lot of different teachers, but it's Christ that we're looking for, not the man. Even John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal strap. And I truly hope, as God is saying, listen to my son, listen to Hebrews 10, I truly hope we are listening. Jesus said in uh, Luke 9, 44, speaking to the disciples, he said, let these words sink down into your ears. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that? Let these words sink down into your ears. If we're genuinely listening to the voice of Jesus and responding with a willing surrender, 
it will continually renew both our gratitude of Jesus' sacrifice and our desire to daily walk in his footsteps. The more time we spend with him, the more we want to walk in his footsteps. You know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind? Well, that's true in many respects. It's not a scripture, but it's true in many respects. And spiritually speaking, if we stop intentionally appreciating the grace and sacrifice of Christ coming into his presence, being renewed, we will steadily grow lukewarm, cold, and apathetic, just as we see as our whole nation has become cold, lukewarm, apathetic, self-centered. God the Father is stirring us to remove all the distractions and all the things that we're depending on. Let's face it, even us as believers, we depend on a lot of things that we're sometimes not depending on God. Can I get an amen on that, those of you online? That we depend on a lot of things. We don't have the faith that some of the saints before us had if we're really honest with ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, look to me. Once we have a growing appreciation for the real thing, the real thing, if you look back, what do I mean by the real thing? The real faith of the, of the early church, the real clinging to Jesus. I believe that most churchgoers, most churchgoers recognize the sacrifice of Jesus but many lack a love and appreciation for it. You can recognize it, but not really appreciate it. A lot of kids with their parents. I know i got parents, they don't really appreciate them yet, right? We can recognize that Jesus is our Lord, but not really appreciate what he's done, uh, which was happening when the writer of Hebrews wrote to the believers in the first century. And Paul dealt with, remember, the Galatians. Some were enticed to returning to a substitute for the real faith in Christ. Instead, they were returning to religion. But when we have an appreciation for the real thing, not religious substitutes, or the world's gazillion ways in which it can lead us away from abiding in Christ and into our lives, then, and only then, will we see the Lord doing a new, daily, fresh, growing work in our lives. Turn your attention back to verse 1. In your Bibles, turn your attention back to verse 1. <clears throat> well, uh, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The law was a shadow. It could not do certain things. It couldn't perfect a person. Well before the law, we see the importance of animal sacrifices prescribed by God, presented by God as a representation of what? Of sin, or, or that our sin and our guilt needed to be atoned, needed to be covered. That was the representation of animal sacrifices. Remember all the way back in the uh, book of Genesis, Abel, he presented a sacrifice to God. Noah did the same thing. Job did the same thing. Abraham did. And finally, under the law, Moses did. Aaron and the priesthood, 
they would then offer the sacrifices as well as the annual sacrifices. You had the daily sacrifices, and then you had the annual sacrifices, such as Passover, which we just remembered last week, Yom Kippur, the day of it, which is the Day of Atonement, with the sacrifice of a goat, and its blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat there on the Day of Atonement. Additionally, there were personal sacrifices for sin. We see with the blood of a red heifer and, uh, that was slain and then sacrificed outside the temple. We believe that those sacrifices took place on the Mount of Olives, where they would have to get outside the city. People's sins, personal sins. King Solomon, at the dedication of the temple, finally there would be a, a place for the sacrifices that was not the, not the uh, temporary tabernacle, but the temple was built. And at the dedication of the temple, they offered thousands, thousands of sacrifices and peace offerings. Look at uh, 1 Kings 8.36. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Those sacrifices and all of those before and after would all fall well short of what God required. Solomon could have kept doing that every day for his whole life, and it would not have paid for one sin in Israel. The writer explains that these sacrifices continued, the daily sacrifices as well as the annual ones, year after year after year. But if they had solved the issue of forgiveness, that sin and guilt were washed away, then they would have stopped. They'd be like, hey, we've done enough. We've done enough of these. We can stop now. We're good. We're cleansed. Some solutions in life are temporary, aren't they? You ever had some temporary solutions? Uh, but, they, uh, but if they have to be repeated again and again, you don't have a permanent solution, something you have to keep doing over and over again. You have to keep working on your car. Temporary solutions. Last year, I have this backflow for the irrigation system that runs in the side of the house. It's made of PVC piping, and it sprung a leak, uh, just a tiny little crack. It was barely visible. I couldn't see it until I got way down that I could see this little tiny crack. But it started to spew water way out. The pressure would send water like, you know, over into my neighbor's uh, driveway. I cut the water off. I dried everything. It was like a Sunday or a Saturday. I knew I couldn't get anyone out there. I dry everything off. I used a as-seen-on-TV liquid sealer. Supposedly, you can put this in the bottom of a boat and all this other, you know, all these things. I'm here to tell you, some of these don't work as advertised, by the way. But uh, an as-seen-on-TV liquid sealer, let it dry. Then, after I let it dry, I rolled duct tape. And duct tape can fix everything, right? So I put just, this was only temporary. I was just saying, this should last a day or two till I can get someone out there. Less than an hour later, water had pushed through all of that, through the sealer, through the duct tape. Water will find its way through anything, and there it was again. Now it was just going... But it wasn't going in the same direction, and it found a new path. So now it was actually springing like three different directions. But it had to solve the problem. I needed a permanent solution. I needed a full replacement of every part. 
And we need a permanent solution, don't we? We need, a, we need a replacement to the animal sacrifices, a permanent replacement to the animal sacrifice. I mean, to continue to do it is duct taping it again and again and again. The law needed a replacement, some, something that could actually meet the perfection of the law because the sacrifice would not do it. You could offer lambs and goats and bulls every day and not cover the sins of just one person. Not even one person would be covered. Not for eternity anyway. The law offered a picture, a shadow. When you walk, you, have a, you cast a shadow. The shadow is coming from you, but the shadow is not actually you. It's really the sun is making the shadow, but the shadow is a reflection of you, but it's not you. You can't say, you just talk to my shadow. No, the shadow is coming from us, but it, it's a picture the law offered a shadow, a, a picture of the things to come. It portrayed the real sacrifice, but it was not the actual sacrifice. It pointed to the real sacrifice, but it was not the actual sacrifice. Speaking of the um, limitations and uh, the writer's intent here, listen to these words. Speaking of the limitations of the law and what I believe the writer Hebrews is, is saying uh, these words by Ray Steadman, he says, the sacrifices were but a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The writer Hebrews knew that these had limitations. This is why Jesus had come. The shadows show us that, uh, show us Christ. They show us Christ, but they show us the need for Christ as well. We need Christ, not the sacrifices, not the perpetual shadows. Uh, when Jesus came, he knew he was coming to fill up the law, but to be the sacrifice that would satisfy the law's requirement, the law's requirement of perfection. When it makes, it says here that these things could not make someone perfect. You had to have a perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's perfect requirements. The shadows of Christ, um, again, were important. But let me give you an illust uh, another illustration, one last illustration of the limitation of the law. Uh, when you and your family members are apart, which is the norm these days with these quarantines and social distancing, but even before, when, when let's say one spouse was away on a work-related trip and the other spouse is back here in Richmond, maybe a child away at college. Last year, my wife was away for a few days at her grandmother's funeral down in Florida. We were apart. Uh, but in those times, you might send yourself, or you, you might send, one, send each other a quick picture. Hey, this is us out to dinner. Hey, this is uh, me and the kids. Uh, we're, we're having dinner without you. You might send a picture of somewhere you're at or what you're doing. Post something uh, of where we went and what we did. And we, when we get those, we enjoy seeing each other's face. Hey, uh, it's great to see. It looks like you're having a good time. We enjoy seeing each other's face. But it's a picture of us or them. It's not actually them. It's a picture. So... It's a representation, but it's not the presence of us together. Would you rather send pictures for the rest of your life 
or be with your spouse. I just want to say, well, we've agreed to just send pictures for now till the time we die, 80 or whatever it may be, or be reunited with the actual person. And this is the law and the animal sacrifices. They're a steady stream of pictures. And the shedding of blood, shedding of blood was going to be essential. They could never actually suffice. They couldn't be the solution. They couldn't solve the problem of sin and death and guilt. But instead of sending pictures forever, God sent his son. Amen? Instead of just sending pictures forever, God sent his son as the sacrifice that has the capacity, and only Jesus has this capacity. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one with the capacity to reunite us with God, the God that created us, the God that desires to save our souls. He sent the only sacrifice that had the capacity to solve every part of the equation for redemption, for salvation. In the Old Testament, probably the most vivid picture of what God would do on our behalf is when Abraham took his son Isaac. You know, he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. Isaac's like, uh, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. But that, that picture of Abraham laying down his beloved son Isaac on the altar was a prophetic symbol that a son not a lamb. It was going to be a son, not a lamb, not a goat, not a bull, would be the blood sacrifice that God would accept for the forgiveness of sins. Which brings us back to Jesus going willingly to Jerusalem to lay down his life at the command and the will of the Father. Let's read these other verses and then let's look at this last section together. Let's pick it up again with uh, verse 5, and we'll read verse 5 through verse 10. We, we read through verse 6, but let's read verses 5, 6, and the rest of the passage. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. You can kind of think right there, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thy will be done. Here we see it mentioned, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. That's the first covenant is replaced by the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus will never get on the cross ever again. One time. One time he walks out of the tomb. Once for all. Remember, the sacrifices kept going year after year after year, but not this sacrifice. Let's take a look at this immeasurable sacrifice of Jesus. I love how verse 5 begins. 
looking back, where he says, therefore, when he came into the world, therefore, when he came into the world, look at verse 6, sacrifice and offering you do not desire but a body. Everything changes with the entrance of Jesus. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that's why the angels were rejoicing that night in Bethlehem, the night of his birth. A body had been prepared. They understood a body had finally been made ready by the Father for the presentation of the Son, Emmanuel, God with us. And the very first steps Jesus took as a toddler were steps towards the cross. Not in direction, but in purpose. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' first, every parent remembers their kids' first steps. Jesus' first steps, those little feet were prepared to have nails driven in them. Think about that. And Mary knew this because, remember, when she went to the temple, she was told that, uh, that he, he, a piercing was coming. I'm sure that troubled her greatly. But Jesus' steps in purpose were always towards the cross, those little feet that would later be nailed to the very trees that Jesus himself created. What an immeasurable sacrifice and surrender to the will of God the Father. And this sacrifice is the one sacrifice that God was pointing to all the way back to the skins that covered Adam and Eve after they fell in sin. Those very initial shed blood skins pointed all the Even then, it was pointing to a covering had to come. A covering had to come. A blood sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. Sin is so deadly. I know we don't hear sin mentioned that much in many churches anymore. We have, enti- we have, we have some... Churches, they don't even mention it at all. Sin's mentioned a lot in the Bible. I mean a lot. Um, And and right here, uh, it's mentioned several times, and I'll point that out in a second, but sin is so deadly and so eternally condemning that only the sinless sacrifice and sinless Son of God can satisfy the holiness of God. You have the holiness of God, which is immovable. And the only thing that will actually stand up to the holiness would be a perfect, holy, sinless sacrifice. That God says, this is the standard, and only Jesus has what it takes to say, whatever the Father needs, I can provide it. We can sacrifice everything we want to. And people, and people have tried under false religions. Remember, even there, uh, Elijah was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, but remember, he was also on, on Mount Carmel. And remember, the other false prophets, they were cutting themselves with knives and everything and shedding their own blood. All they did is got themselves killed. Sin is deadly. It needs a sinless sacrifice. Just in these 10 verses, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, But just in these 10 verses, sin is mentioned five times just in these 10 verses. Sin is mentioned many more times in the Bible. But just in these 10 verses, five times the word sin is mentioned. Also, we see the words perfect 
purified and sanctified. They're also mentioned here as necessary. How do you go from sin to perfect? How do you go from sin to sanctified? How do you go from sin to purified? Understand, Jesus did not come to improve our lives to give us salary increases, to make sure we have better vacations and better this and better that. That is not why he came. Read the Bible. Read the people that followed him. That is not their life. Jesus came because of the curse of sin and our helpless condition to clean ourselves and save ourselves. We can't clean ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't even conjure up the gospel, God had to present it to us. Look back at uh, the middle of verse 6. But a body you prepared, burnt offerings and sacrifice sin, you did, not, you did not have pleasure in. Also, this is mentioned uh, in verse 8, sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them. Yes, they were a sweet incense, but God knew they had severe limitations. All of heaven was waiting for the sending of Jesus. The sacrifices addressed the issue of sin, but could not atone for the punishment of sin. Does that make sense? The sacrifices addressed the issue of sin, but they couldn't atone for the punishment of sin. It, it made it clear that, hey, this sin has to be dealt with. But then people were still saying, but how? They're like, Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, how am I going to deal with this? That was reserved for the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. P.T. Forsyth said this. He said, the blood of Christ stands not simply for the sting of sin on God when it was laid on Jesus, but the scourge of sin on God, which was also laid on Jesus, not simply for God's sorrow over sin, but God's wrath on sin. We take sin very lightly in America now. I mean, almost every television show laughs about lying, cursing, all these things, but sin's not a light thing for God. <clears throat> he sacrificed his son to cover it. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ. The wrath of God was the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ was totally different than like lambs dying or bulls dying. They didn't even willingly go. They were just taken. Say, hey, you're you're a sacrifice today. Jesus, remember, he willingly went. He knelt down before the will of God. Can we comprehend? the creator of the universe, can we, just try and think for a second, can we comprehend the creator of the universe, Jesus, the ruler of the universe, Jesus, who spoke the world into existence, Jesus, stepping off of his throne to be a baby, to have people change him as a child, challenge him as an adult, doubt him, test him, the devil to tempt him, people to hate him, resist him, lie about him, try him, convict him, spit on him, beat him, torture him, crucify him, and mock him. 
can we fathom such a sacrifice? Can we fathom such a sacrifice? The level of love the Father, can we fathom the level of love the Father has for us? Can we fathom the level of love Jesus had for the Father and for us and the level of humility needed to humble himself to the cross? Can we fathom that? We really can't. No, we can't fathom it, but we sure can't ignore it. Amen? Even if we can't really fathom it, we must try. We must not ignore it. The writer is saying, you can't ignore these things. That's why the writer is writing it. That's why the writer is reminding us of these things. Oswald Chambers said, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, hell afraid of it, while men are the only ones to ignore its meaning. Isn't that interesting? I mean, literally, you can get people excited about just about anything. I mean, people will get, just, they'll tell everyone they know about this new burger joint they just went to. Tell them about the cross, and they're, I've already heard that. Isn't that amazing? Here we have the greatest thing that God has ever done for humanity, and it's like no big deal to everybody. And then things that are really not a big deal, everybody makes a big deal about them. They're so important. They're so amazing. How foolish and apathetic as human beings we can all be. And I'm seeing myself here too. We can be so foolish and so apathetic. Uh, we have... We have to take the time to appreciate the sacrifice and work of Christ. You have to take time to appreciate this. You have to actually go in solitude sometimes and just think about, God, what you've done for me. You have to soak in it. Remember, this was written to believers. They knew it, but they had lost an appreciation for it. The sacrifice in the very presence of Jesus can become no big deal, if we become preoccupied with our lives and this world. The more we become, Jesus said, the cares of this world and deceit, deceit, uh, deceitfulness of riches will just pull you away. Just like the ocean current, you'll just slide down, you'll be eight blocks away from where you're supposed to be. Even serving Christ can become dead works and busyness. Did you know that? Even supposedly serving Jesus, many pastors have become, I've had moments where I'm like, hold on a second, why am I even doing this? Is this really for the Lord? Not a genuine love and appreciation for what he's done. It's why we take of the Lord's Supper. We have to go back, we have to, Jesus wants us to go back to that Passover again and again and again, where he did what? He washed their feet, and then he laid down his life. We have to go back to the Lord's Supper and we have to daily in our time in the Word, daily in our time in prayer. It's to be reflective, to say, God, help me to see you for who you are, me for who I am, your sacrifice for what it's done on my behalf. I was reading this week in um, Luke chapter 10. You know the story of Mary and Martha. 
Martha's all running around, doing everything. Jesus, isn't this amazing? I've made the greatest meal, and there's Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet. And she heard his word. But it says Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted. Mary was abiding in the Lord at that moment. Now, don't get me wrong. Martha was a believer, just like many of you online. You're believers, and you've become distracted recently. And if you're honest, say, Lord, I've been really distracted. And God is saying, I know. That's why I'm That's why I'm having you hear this message from Hebrews 10, to draw you back. Jesus pulls us back. But Mary was focused on Christ. Martha was focused on getting things done. I have a struggle. I'm a a get things done, a doer. The Lord will say, no, no, a lot of times I want you to not do anything. Just sit at my feet. Jesus told her, You're worried about, he even told her, you're worried about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. She's appreciating that the sacrifice of God is in her presence. And that won't be taken away from her. And I want to tell you, the more that we grow in Christ, the more we know we need Christ. Did you know that? The more you grow in Christ, the more you'll know you need Christ. Not only that, the more you grow in Christ, you will realize how sinful you really are, and the sacrifice becomes that much more amazing to you. The longer I'm saved, the more I realize I'm just as wretched now as I was 25 years ago. I need as much grace, maybe more, than I did yesterday. And yet God is still doing what? Perfecting us, as this text tells us. Perfecting us. Sanctifying, verse 10. By that will we've been sanctified. We'll get more into sanctification next week. I don't have time to today, but we'll focus on that next week in the next passages, really focusing on the work of what sanctification, that changing of us day in and day out looks like. Paul, even late, even, even well after he was saved, he said he was the chief of sinners. He never forgot the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. We need to be in the presence of Christ, like Mary here. We need to be seated at his feet. We need to see the nail-pierced feet and remind us, oh, yeah, you gave everything for me. Why am I whining and complaining that something didn't go my way, something didn't go perfect? When we look at his sacrifice, we can become sacrificial. When we look at the sacrifice of Jesus then we can become sacrificial. Otherwise, in our flesh, we'll never be sacrificial. We'll never wash other people's feet. We'll always say, what about me? What about this? What Jesus submitted what? To the will of the Father. Thy will be done. In this time of things being, I'm talking about the season we're in right now here in America and around the world. In this time of things being taken off of our calendars, I'm coming to a close, but I want you to listen closely. In this time of things being taken off of our calendars, and many things have been taken off your calendar and my calendar, whether we wanted it or not, all of a sudden it's removed. God knew this knew 10 years ago that in April these things would be off your calendar and off my calendar. But in this time of things being taken off, 
Are we able to refocus on Jesus? I'm talking to believers right now. Are we able to refocus on Jesus? Are we able to refocus on his immeasurable sacrifice? To not just be appreciative, but to grow in it. To really say, Lord, I, like Mary, I'm, I'm just sitting at your feet, taking a little extra time, taking a little more time to just say, Lord, I want to bathe in your presence. Really let it sink down. As you said, sink down in your ears, but sink not just the ears, all the way down into the soul level. Are we going to take the time? God says, look, don't tell me you don't. I, I've cleared some things. You've been asking, hey, this could take it away, this could take it away. God said, now it's gone. What will you do? We, we're giving a space of time. What, ha what happens is that spending that time with Jesus, that reflecting on his sacrifice, that opening the word, marking up your Bible, spending time in prayer, it becomes a fresh source of joy, a fresh source of strength, of rejoicing in our lives. Do you want joy? Do you want strength? God says, look, I, I have all this. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'm resting up your calendar a little bit or freeing it up a little bit so you can actually appreciate the sacrifice of my son. I want to close with uh, the victory uh, in this passage. Look at verse 7. Um, it's, and and then, then the last part of verse 10 as well. Um, two parts here. Then I said, this is obviously speaking of Jesus, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. What we see here, it's not an attempt to do the will of God. Jesus completed the will of God. He didn't just come to do it. He did it. That's our victory. We now know that everything we needed, he's already done it for us. You don't have to be super smart. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. Jesus is, 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 is all of those things. He didn't come just to do the will of the Father. He actually did it. We looked at this last week. The completed mission. Aren't you glad that there's an empty tomb, an empty cross, that the mission is complete? Now we're told to appropriate that it, what all he's done, to walk in it. You who have received Christ, so walk in him. So we have a victory here. Yes, we have to yield and say, Lord, forgive us. We want to appreciate your sacrifice and re-yield our lives. But now we can walk in his victory. He's come to do the will. Verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified. We'll get more into this next week. We have been sanctified. In other words, he is changing us. We're not who we once were day by day. Through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And we have this rejoicing too, that Jesus will never die again. We rejoice that he's paid it all. He's seated. Now, what this tells us is now, and we'll look at this more next week because it actually is mentioned, but now we have the victory of knowing that our Savior, our sacrifice, is seated on the throne in full power. He's won the victory. He's given us the victory. He wants us to reflect and be strengthened by not only that we've been cleansed of sin and guilt, but that we now have access, which it's in the earlier part of Hebrews, which we read, to the throne of grace daily, his power, 
his strength that we've been made clean by the body of Jesus once and for all. If you've been saved, once and for all, God dealt with all of your sins, my sins, and the issue of eternity. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you provided a way. All the sacrifices, all the sacrifices of the law and uh, the animals and the temple and the tabernacle and even before the law, all of those things, they were shadows, they were pictures, they were pointing to your son. But we're so grateful, Jesus, that you came and you fulfilled what all the animal sacrifices never could do. And that was to atone, to cover, to cleanse, to bring the work of salvation to, Lord, render us from guilty to not guilty by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, your only begotten Son, your risen Son. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us once again. Lord, we need your grace daily of where we, at times, don't appreciate this. And even when we do, we, we can't even appreciate it to the level that we desire, Lord, but we ask for a work of grace that you would still our hearts and our minds. And Lord, show us those times that we can spend sitting at your feet like Mary, just abiding in your word and growing in faith and, and talking to you. And Lord, that the sacrifice would become more real to us, but also your risen victory would become more real to us and your power and your strength and your peace and that rejoicing that we see, Lord, that these things would spring forth. And Lord, we would have such an appreciation that we couldn't help but tell other people that don't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, maybe they're living in fear of death of this virus, and Lord, that we have the answer, we have the hope, we have the expectation that our risen Christ, Lord, will be bringing us to be with him for eternity very soon. So Lord, we just ask that you help us to grow this week in an appreciation for all that you've done on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Before we close in song, I just want to once again, for those of you that we may have visitors that are watching, or maybe you go to church and uh, you've heard the message of the gospel, but you've not really given your heart and life to Jesus. And we've been week after week just giving an invitation. It's a virtual invitation. Uh, but we've had people in the past that in their living room uh, emailed us, say, hey, I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to come and save me and to cleanse me from my sins. And so how could we talk about the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus and not present, uh, I heard years ago, you know, uh, not giving the invitation to Christ. It's like you know, someone is out there and we just are holding up the life preserver. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. And not ever throwing it into the water. And I want to throw it into the water to you. Ultimately, God throws you in the water. I can't save you. None of the men that are here with me this morning can save you. Your good works can't save you. But Jesus can save you. All we're told to do is to throw the life preserver in your direction. And so that's what we're doing here this morning, to say this is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that God has made a way for us to be saved from sin, death, and hell. The gospel is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to be saved from these things. There's not another way. Confucius can't help you. Communism can't help you. Buddhism can't help you. Self-help, new age, all of those things. Jesus said, I've come, and he alone says, I, you come to me, I will 
give you eternal life. So I just want to lead you in a prayer and say, you know, I, I realized this morning you talked about the severity of sin. I know I'm a sinner. Man, I, I know things that I've done this week that would separate me from God. I know that you talked about the holiness of God versus the perfection uh, uh, of Jesus and the fact that only Jesus has the perfection that matches the holiness of God. And in other words, if we have to stand before a holy God at the end of our life and we're doing it in our good works, we're going to be hearing the words, depart from me, I never knew you because none of, none of what we do can measure up. So if you're here online and you say, I've been thinking about this a long time. I've been putting it off and putting it off, and I'm worried about what my family members are going to think and my, my coworkers are going to think. You have to think about the fact that you will stand before God one-on-one. -on -one. None of those people will be standing there with you. When I finally gave my life to Christ, I did not care what my friends thought anymore. I, got, I just walked forward and said, Jesus, I'm giving my life. I want to live for you. I want to be in heaven and not hell. I want to be cleansed and forgiven. And God says, welcome home. Let's pray if that's you. Lord, just follow along with me in prayer. Father, as I leave these, I pray that uh, you would be drawing souls into the kingdom. And if you're online and you're one of these this morning, just pray along with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sin and my guilt, my shame. Thank you for conquering sin, death, and the, uh, uh, Satan, and Lord, rising out of the grave. And Lord, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way to the Father but by you. So I'm putting my faith and trust and your perfection, your sinless death, your resurrection, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, help me now to follow you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.